millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. the biggest stories in soccer, at least for American audiences this summer, is J.J. Watt's minority stake in Burnley, which of course just won promotion back into the Premier League. So today I had the opportunity to talk to Simon Evans, who is a reporter for the AFP, who covers both American sports and soccer, so who better to talk to about an NFL Hall of Famer getting involved in the Premier League. So Simon, I want to ask you just for what was your initial reaction when you heard that J.J. Watt was going to be brought on as a minority owner in Burnley? I mean, it's not the first time we've seen former athletes get involved in ownership, but for someone like J.J. Watt's stature and then to choose a club like Burnley, I don't know, it seems like a, an interesting fit that has been entertaining so far. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, it uh, it was sort of it, the news sort of came out. Uh, I heard about it a couple of months before the end of the season, and uh, and JJ Watt made a trip to Burnley. I'm from Burnley, so I have, I have good contacts there, and I knew he was around the town. And uh, yeah, you're right. There's a number of athletes uh, have done similar kind of uh, deals where you're never quite sure how much of an ownership stake they have in the club, but they come on board as a minority owner. And, and do a lot of promotional work. And it's kind of an ambassadorial role as well, I think. But I think in the case of Burnley, it's really about trying to help Burnley build their brand in the United States. You mentioned that he's very much an ambassador for the club. And we've seen that early on, especially when Burnley was doing their entire celebration for winning the championship. He's going on he's going on pub crawls in Burnley before going to the games. He's getting to know the entire entire supporter base that ambassador role, what kind of benefit can that have for Burnley? Because we know it's not your Manchester United, your Chelsea's, your Arsenal's, your Liverpool's, but for Burnley, which has you know, been a mainstay in the Premier League for some time, what kind of role can J.J. Watt have? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because Burnley have American owners. Uh, ALK Capital bought the club a couple of years ago. And uh, you would have thought that the American owners would be trying to build their profile in, in the United States. Um, not a lot of work has been done on that. Um, they've been busy with lots of other things. I mean, the club got relegated and then had to rebuild completely under Vincent Company. So, you know, they overhauled completely the playing staff and the coaching staff. So they've been pretty busy with, with other things. Um, I think, you know, JJ Watt has, I think, 5.6 million followers on social media on different channels. Uh, right. He has, I think that's just Twitter. I think he has even more with it. If you, if you add in Instagram and other mm-hmm. things. And, um, Clearly, they're sports fans, they're NFL fans, but the you know we know now there are a lot of NFL fans who also follow soccer. 
that old dichotomy that used to exist in America between somebody who was an NFL guy who loved his American sports and then somebody else who was into soccer doesn't exist in the same way anymore, I don't think. There's lots of Pittsburgh Steeler fans support Premier League teams as well, as I'm sure you're well aware mm-hmm. from your own show and, and from the readers of World Soccer Talk. And... Um, Burnley, you know, I mean, during the Burnley's time in the Premier League under Sean Dyche, I don't think they really picked up much of a following in the United States. There are Burnley fans in America. There's even a group, uh, you know, a Facebook group called North American Clarets that has several hundred members. Um, some of them are expats. Some of the people whose grandfathers were from Burnley. Some of them are Americans who adopted Burnley as their team. But it hasn't really been uh, something that's uh, Burnley haven't really been a brand that's caught on in the United States. And clearly having a very popular sports uh, figure with a huge social media following can only help if they're trying to do that. I want to ask you about the town of Burnley first, because a lot of soccer fans, sure, they might know the club and what Vincent Company's been able to do this past season. But the actual town of Burnley has got less than 100,000 people in it. What is it like there? Is it does it have that small town feel that you know most people would expect in a town with a relatively small population? Yeah, it is a small town, um, surrounded by lots of other small towns. So um, you know, I think Burnley's population is about eighty eight, ninety thousand people. But if you add in the towns Nelson next to it, Cone, you go over even into in towards Halifax, into Yorkshire, or towards Bradford. It's a reasonable catchment area. It's not as small as it as it sounds. And a lot of people, because you know the town hasn't always had uh, a booming economy over the last uh, few decades, a lot of people have left the town as well. So you have Burnley fans who come home uh, at the weekend to watch the, the football and visit their family and so on, people who live in London or live in the Midlands and so on. Um, but it is a small town. It's a working-class town. It's a former uh, mill town. Um you know, was big in the textile industry up until, you know, the 1960s, really. Um, and then it's hit some economic hard times. And the football club is just so central to the town, though. I mean, this is the thing that people who signed for the club or, you know, Vincent Company has talked about this. And I think JJ Watt has also referenced this, that you walk around Burnley on a Tuesday afternoon, there's no game on or anything. You see people wearing the club's shirt. You see people in winter wearing the scarves and hats all the time. People tend to support the town team and the identity of of the club and the team uh, with the town is just so close. They're interchangeable. So, you know, I mean, Burnley, I can tell people in the United States now when they ask me where I'm from, I say Burnley because of the club. uh, They know what I'm talking about many, many times, especially if obviously they like soccer. Whereas until 10 years ago, until the Premier League era for Burnley, I would say I lived in a town near Manchester. You know, and and and, but Burnley is Burnley is uh, a one club town, um, really connected to its football club. A lot of what you just said, I feel like, could apply to JJ Watt's hometown of, of Pewaukee, Wisconsin. I don't want to speak on the demographics or history of Pewaukee because, you know, frankly, I've never been there or heard of it outside of the Watt family. But you talk about how Burnley's football club is so central to the town. I feel like for J.J. Watt growing up, high school football, college football, the Green Bay Packers in the area, they would all be very central to Pewaukee, Wisconsin. Do you think that may have drawn J.J. Watt into Burnley? Was this kind of feel of how one club or one sport even is so central to one specific group of people? Yeah, I mean, I think he was. I think he was uh, invited to 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 develop a relationship with the club by a, um, a businessman who 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 knows the Burnley's owner and knows JJ Watt, 
a guy uh, who's who's a little bit of a fixer in the in the sports world. Um, and so I think you know he went and had an exploration of it, and I'm sure he would have found it familiar in some respects. I must admit, the first time I went to Green Bay and I drove into a small town with a big stadium in the middle of it that was completely dominated and associated primarily way beyond anything else with with their sports team. Um, there is a similarity there. Absolutely, Green Bay is not a big town, is it? You know, and uh, but you know, he's 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 obviously you know spent most of his uh, playing career in 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 Houston and then Arizona, so he'll have a broader a broader view than that, I'm sure. But um, I think he wanted to get involved uh, from reading what he said. Um, you know, he's retired and he and he's itching to do something. Um, his wife, Kelia, uh, of course, played in the NWSL and for the U.S. Uh, women's national team. She's been quite involved in in what he's doing at Burnley as well. I hope she gets involved with the women's team. I think that'd be a fantastic boost for them. But yeah, I'm sure there was some attraction on that level. I actually wanted to ask you about Kelia Watt, who is J.J. Watt's wife. And like you mentioned, she played in the National Women's Soccer League as an expat for the U.S. Women's National Team. What about her importance for Burnley? Because we see the women's club game is starting to pick up pace in England. I mean, you see Chelsea having competed in a number of Champions League finals. They're under the, I mean, they're going to win another uh, Women's Super League. So Kalia Watt and her impact at Burnley, you mentioned hopefully she can have an impact on their women's team. Where do you see that kind of future going with her influence on the club? Yeah, I think uh, I think it can only be a positive for the women's team. The women's team is is one of the things that the American owners have uh, you know put quite a lot of resources into and quite a lot of attention to. Um, Burnley still, you know, they're not in the top division of, of the women's game in England. They, they've only started really a team on a sort of professional basis a couple of years ago. But Alan Pace and, and, and the ownership group at Burnley have, have integrated the team into the whole operation. So they train now at the same training ground as, as the men do. And I think for them to have somebody who's been an international player, who's played at a high level professionally, come into the club. And uh, I don't know exactly what her role is going to be. Nothing's been said on it. But you would think if she, if she was even around the training ground, I mean, if she manages to, uh, I mean, she's young enough to make a comeback. I know she's had a, had a child, but plenty right. of women's players now are coming back after having children. And, uh, and and it would be great if she was going to play for Burnley. I don't know if that would involve the family moving over and all the rest <laughs> of it. So it's probably not going to happen. But um, I think she can be, you know, a, a good role model for those uh, young players at Burnley. In the United States, and really particularly here at World Soccer Talk, we talked a lot about Ryan Reynolds and Rob Magdalene and their impact at Wrexham. It's been something that we focused on for a couple of years now, and we saw that come to fruition with their promotion back into the Football League. Do you think J.J. Watt can take any advice, any experience that Ryan Reynolds or Rob McElhenney may have and apply it to Burnley? I know they're entirely different, entirely different situations because one of them is a was a National League side that was getting into League 2, and the other one is a club that was in the Premier League and got back into the Premier League at its first time of trying. But still, based on that experience that Rob and Ryan have had at Wrexham, do you think there's anything J.J. Watt can can take from them and apply to Burnley? Well, I think he has been doing, to be honest. I think, I think the way he approached it, um, there's clearly a risk when an American football player who's not particularly well-known in England. I mean, obviously, he's a huge star in America, but as much as the NFL has grown in England, a lot of Burnley fans on the message boards and social media and so on were like, who? You know, they they, they didn't know who he was. Um, and I think he he probably was aware of that. And he was also aware that, you know, he's an outsider coming into a small town club 
Um, so he's been very respectful in the way he's done it. I think going around the pubs before the game, meeting the fans, I've spoken to people who met him who said he was super friendly and down to earth with them and so on. And I think what happened at Wrexham, the way they came in and they obviously had their goals and their designs for what they wanted to do with that club. But they were also aware of its traditions. They were aware of what kind of fan base they're dealing with and respected that and worked with that. And I think I've seen signs that JJ Watt wants to do that. Now, he's not the owner. He's not in the same position as them. But if he's going to get involved in the club and he's going to be seen to be, uh, you know, uh, uh, more than an ambassador, but somebody who's got a stake in the club in in the literal sense, um, I think he needs to to carry on with that attitude and, and just be, you know, wary of it when he's doing his content that, um, you know, there is a hardcore fan base there as well that Burnley can never afford to alienate or lose, even if they're trying to pick up a, a more international, diverse fan base. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I know Rob McElhinney in relation to Wrexham said the town of Wrexham reminded him a lot of Philadelphia, where he's from because of the working class mentality. As someone who is from Burnley, I'm curious if there's a town or a city in the United States that you can kind of equate Burnley to, maybe on a different scale, but is there a town in the United States that maybe rings a bell when it comes to the town of Burnley? You know, it's such a difficult one because, um, you know, Green Bay, I've already mentioned, but I, I think I think there's it, it, it's very difficult because, you know, any of the teams, towns that have teams like... Uh, you know, Philadelphia and so on are way, way bigger than than Burnley is. Burnley's such a small town. I mean, we're talking, you know, like eighty-eight thousand people. Um, it's really a miracle that it supports a Premier League club, really, and historically, you know, won the English League in 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 nineteen sixty and 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 played in European football and so on. It, it really is a, a a unique case. Um, and it's hard, you know, in the American system where you know the thirty-two franchises that you get for the top leagues they go to the big cities and there's um. So I guess, you know, you the, the, the vibe you get going to Burnley is probably more what you'd find in a college football town, you know, in a in a in a in a in a in a town that's like a campus town, really, in that sense, um, where everybody's behind that team, everybody is going to the game, 
um, where the people who don't go to the game still want to know the score of what's happened. And and uh, it's but it's impossible to compare it with any of the the major markets. I think for for uh, American sports. Yeah, it's really true, Simon, what you say about how it's hard to compare those major markets to a town like Burnley because we talk a lot as well about promotion and relegation in the United States and how it doesn't exist between Major League Soccer and USL. And if Burnley was a town in the United States, I don't think it would be able to have a Major League Soccer side, not just because of a promotion and relegation, but also because Metropolitan, uh, I think 75% of the host uh, cities for MLS teams have to have uh, a million residents or more, some some statistic like that. So do you think promotion and relegation may have played a role in J.J. Watt's investment into Burnley? And I know we've seen a lot of people be turned away from Major League Soccer investment just because of the, the franchise fees. But promotion and relegation in particular, do you think that may have played a role in J.J. Watt's interest in Burnley? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think uh, certainly... You know, we see American investors in general attracted to this this narrative you can build around clubs. I mean, the Wrexham story, the fact that that's, you know, been of such interest to Americans. Um, Luton Town, what's happened this year. These are great stories that do attract people to the sport. And, and the fact that a club like Burnley has been able to, you know, I mean, kind of similar to Luton Town, except spread over a much longer period of time, went from the top down to the very bottom and then slowly slowly crawled back um the fact that you're able to do that um creates a narrative it's a much deeper longer narrative with Burnley than it was with the with Luton's remarkable sudden descent and then sudden rise again um but yeah undoubtedly we see American investors interested in that and it's but it's an opportunity isn't it to come in and be really connected to a club I think if if JJ Watt for example there's pictures of him in the past with Chelsea shirts on and Chelsea hats and so on. I think if he'd have gone in with Todd Burley as a uh, a very minor investor in his uh, consortium at Chelsea, I don't think he would be front and centre in things, would he? I don't think he'd be having an influence. And he there he's chatting to Vincent Company. He's been in the locker room. He's able to feel really involved in the club. And for somebody who's been in professional sports all their lives, I think that's a big factor for him. So, Simon, I want to ask you about American soccer, first of all, because, uh, you know, people might hear your accent and hear that you're from Burnley, but you actually do live here in the United States, and I'm sure you have a, a ton of knowledge about the American soccer scene. So I just want to ask you, as someone coming over from Europe to America and seeing, you know, Major League Soccer, the USL Championship, I want to ask you about your opinions on the entire the lack of a pyramid, if you will. Do you think promotion and relegation would be successful in the United States? Is it better as it is? Just what are your thoughts on the current scene or status of American soccer? Yeah, it's a really interesting one because obviously I I, I think you know the system that exists in like ninety percent of of the world for soccer or promotion and relegation. It exists in the rest of the world for a reason. It's great. It works. It allows a whole country to be involved. It allows teams to, uh, you know, rise up, as we've seen and we just talked about. On the other hand, you know, there is something unique about soccer in the United States. And the fact being that, you know, when Major League Soccer was formed, there hadn't been uh, a professional league um, that was viable since, you know, the short-lived NESL. Um, and then you go back to that, and there were those roots there, you know, uh, with the industrial towns and the teams before the Second World War and so on, between the wars. 
uh, you know, the Bethlehem Steels and, and the ethnic teams and so on. So there is a history there. I don't want to dismiss that. But clearly on a professional level, building a, a sport and a league that could survive in the American sports market, I think what MLS has done has been remarkable. And I totally get people who, who argue that they should have promotion and relegation and they think it's a better system. I think it's a better system overall. But there's a certain reality about, about life in, in the United States. And MLS to have come as far as it has to be developing these teams around the country, I think it's worked. I think it's worked. I think the problem is, and I heard uh, Kartik and Chris talking about this on on, on the podcast that they do uh, last week, the problem is that as successful as MLS teams are in their markets, they aren't part of the national sporting conversation. I cover the right. NBA as well. I cover the NFL as well. I, you know, I'm very immersed in what's going on in American sport, and uh, and people aren't talking about MLS, and it's not on TV anymore. It's on Apple, which I think is you know it's a good product and everything, and I like it. But it also you know the downside of it is it's not on ESPN or Fox or any of these places where people you know tune in casually to watch sports. So. I think that's going to be really, really difficult for MLS to break out of being successful where it is, where it has a footprint, into becoming part of that national conversation. That's a massive leap that they've got to make, and they haven't made it yet, and it's going to be a long time until they do. And I don't think promotion and relegation solves that. Yeah, I know MLS executives had a goal of being a top 10 league in the world, I think, so we'll see if they can get to there. But Simon, I want to wrap up with a couple more questions about a Burnley podcast that you launched that is called From the B-Hole End. First of all, I want to ask you about the name of the podcast, From the B-Hole End. I hope I'm getting that right. Uh, just, hey, where does, where does that come from? So the B-Hole End was an open terrace at, at Burnley um, until the early 1990s, I think, really, or no, maybe a little bit later than that. Uh, which was replaced by, you know, the all-seater uh, stand. Uh, the B-all end was where, uh, so it's basically me and, and some friends of mine who uh, work in the media and the Burnley fans. We started this podcast and we all started off our life as fans watching Burnley in the lower divisions, in the fourth division uh, mostly, um, stood on the B-all end, the open end, which was pretty sparsely attended, uh, wet and usually very, very cold. <laughs> Um, so that's where it comes from. And we just started it. We've we've done a couple of episodes um, chatting about the clubs, a review of the season, and then looking at and transfers and so on. Um, and and yeah, we've had a really nice positive feedback and seem to be getting a decent uh, a decent audience for it. Obviously, it's a very niche podcast for for Burnley fans. It's but you know we are journalists and we're doing it in a way that we we want it to be like a professional podcast that appeals to uh, Burnley fans. And we we feel Burnley fans, uh, there's there's a, a demand for that. And, uh, you know, the fact that we all support Burnley as well makes it, a, you know, a labour of love as well. And last question I got for you, Simon, you already kind of mentioned it there. You're doing a look ahead to the transfer window. Next season, where do you see, uh, and there's a lot that could change, obviously, with the with the transfers. We saw Nottingham Forest this past season by just about every available player on the market. So, uh, Burnley's outlook for next season, uh, what would be a successful season for them? And again, there's a lot that could change between now and the beginning of the next season. Yeah, I think it's going to be a different season. I don't think with Vincent Company's mentality, um, he's done an extraordinary job at Burnley. You know, last season was a total transformation. For the Burnley that you saw in the Premier League under Sean Dyche and the Burnley that you will see under the Vincent Company are light years away from each other. And I was a huge fan of the way Dyche approached it, and he massively overachieved. 
But uh, Vincent Company came in and turned Burnley into the Manchester City of the Championship, really. the Playing the beautiful game, uh, very positive, very front foot, playing out from the back with a goalkeeper who's brilliant with his feet, and it's all the, all the things are there. Um, so I don't think Burnley are going to go in with that scrappy sort of let's try and survive attitude. I think they're going to go in and try and do what Brentford have done or what Fulham have done and, and go in there and say, we're going to play football, we're going to play it our way. We think we're good enough to finish in the top half or in the middle at least. So whether that survives against the reality, the brutal reality of, of, of playing against the big six in the Premier League, uh, we'll see. I think they Burnley do have to strengthen the squad a little bit, but they don't need to do a massive overhaul. Right. Well, Simon, it should be interesting to see for next season. Simon Evans, a sports journalist for AFP, and as we already mentioned, one of the co-hosts of From the B-Hole and a Burnley podcast. Simon, really appreciate you coming on and talking to us about J.J. Watt, Burnley, and a lot of other things. So thank you. Thank you. It's been great. <laughs>